Anyway, I just, I just was praying just there at the end. It was just, man, just such a sweet time with the Lord. And uh, I felt like he just wanted me to impart one little thing. Maybe it's for uh, one of you. Maybe it's for a couple of you. But um, just to share my story of getting into Africa, um, the Lord began to call me into uh, to go do some work with him in Africa. And me and a friend were going to go and, uh, and the guy that I was going to go with, uh, he ended up having some, some things go on with his family. He wasn't able to go, and so I have to go alone. And so um, basically I'm going uh, around the world to meet. Uh, I was going to minister with one other guy, and we are going to minister uh, to some people there. I never met that guy before. I've talked to him twice on the phone. And then we were going to go minister to people that we haven't met before. And, uh, and so it was quite a wild deal to think. Um, but the thing I felt like the Lord wanted in part was, was that um, as scary as it sounds to travel around to, to North Africa and not know anybody who you're going to meet there, uh, the, the thing is, is that the Lord just wants us to show up. And then when we show up, he does the rest. And so that's kind of what I have this morning is... Uh, I don't know if I would say that this is like a burning word from the Lord, uh, but it's true about him. And so I'm just here to show up and, uh, and then the Lord will hopefully do something uh, in, the, in the middle of all this. And so um, if you were to, I was talking with Jason, if you were to, on the website, he's just done a great job on that website, putting that together. And so if you haven't been there, you need to go see it and you need to go read a tagline he put on there. Uh, about the source, and it says, administering heaven to earth according to the will of the Father. And I mean, that's just such a powerful sentence about the church. And, uh, and so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about that very thing. And uh, perhaps um, you have heard everything I'm going to say today, and it's not new information, and so just pity me and pretend like it's brand new information, okay? <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, hopefully it's a refresher, because Jesus has yet to return to the earth, right? Therefore, we need to hear again that God has, uh, wants to bring uh, heaven to earth. I mean, Jesus taught us to pray in this way, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, he, this is the thing the Father wants to do, and so I don't think we can hear it too many times. And so, um, but as we talk about uh, heaven and earth, we must know that the actions of the church affect what God does in the world. And so if I was to really uh, say it more clearly, I, I would go as far and say what the church does dictates what God does in the world. And that might be, you know, kind of ludicrous for some of you, um, but, but really specifically I'm saying that the church is either making room for God to move on the earth, or he's limiting his movement on the earth. And so some of you, uh, you just say, hey, there's no way any one person or any group of people can limit a sovereign God. And, and I just have to say, well, I think that's true also. I don't think that any person um, can do that. We can't, truly can't dictate to God um, what, what God does or doesn't do. And if we could, God wouldn't be God. We would be God, right? And so that's just not necessarily true. So the short answer is, yes, God's completely sovereign. Yes, God's completely in control. He could do as he pleases. Uh, nothing surpasses him. Nothing rules over him, right? This is clear in Scripture. Um, and he's not limited by any, anyone or anything except by what him in his sovereignty chooses or allows himself to be limited or dictated by. And that's quite of an interesting thought when we really begin to think about who the Lord is. And so 
But we, you know, as we look in Scripture, we see the Almighty waiting on his people before he works. And, and working with his people when he does work. And so we don't see an independent God doing anything independently. We always see a God who could be independent, but choosing to work with his people all the time over and over and over again. And so God has chosen to do what he does in partnership with his people, and namely for us this morning, that is us, his church. He is not working with sinners. He's just not doing it. He's working with his church, and, uh, and he's giving his church these exclusive rights to distribute heaven. And he says, so go do this. No one else gets to do this but you guys, so go do it. And, uh, and he could, again, do it without us. He just doesn't. He chooses to do it with us. And so um, much as what we see in the world around us today, if we, you know, it's not hard to look around. I'm, at one point I'm in Africa and i just like, hey, what's it like to turn on the TV in Africa? And you, you see the news and like it's so close to all the horrible things that are going on in the world that their news is way more dictated uh, by it than ours. And, and so we just see the evil uh, around us and we see all the things. It just seems like the enemy just gets to do what he wants. And I, that's a... That's a result of the church not administering the will of God on the earth. And, and so, um, and, and we do that when we, I mean, one of the ways we do that is we enter into the throne room, the very thing we're singing about, and we begin to pray God's will to him. And, uh, and so God, we, we just see God's will isn't fully being done all over the earth. It's being done in these little pockets. It's being done this morning. It's just not being done necessarily across the street right now. And so, uh, and it's not just because he doesn't will for it to be done. He, he wills for every single person at the YMCA across the street to know him. And uh, he, he wants that to be done. He just delays and he's patient and he's saying, church, will you do your part? Will you come be a part of this with me? I mean, this is a wild deal to think that the, that the Lord would do this with us. And, and so I just want to just say real quick, a couple verses. One is Matthew 16, 19. And it says, I, I'm sorry, Jason, I should have done slides. And so uh, it says, uh, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so we see God giving uh, Jesus, you know, it's like, these are the keys. These are the keys to the kingdom. And it, and it means we can enter his courts. It means we have authority to lock and unlock. I mean, but do you see the order that's going on really here? It says, whatever you bind on earth is then secondly bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth first is then loosed in heaven second. There's a first and then there's a second. And so earth first, heaven second is, is what the order that Jesus is speaking to Peter here in Matthew 16. And, and, and so um, it's just not that... Um, God's not going to do it. He's just saying, you have the keys, so you need to do this. And so there's this uh, other important principle of this binding and loosing that I want to kind of point out. And it's another place we see this in Scripture, uh, a couple chapters down in Matthew 18. Um, and it and it's kind of reiterates this same point again, uh, 18, uh, uh, verse 19 and 20. It says, if uh, two of you agree on earth about anything that you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. I mean, that's a powerful sentence, isn't it? And then it says, forever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so this binding and loosing that's talked about here is accomplished through the agreement of two or three or more of us 
getting together. And so God's partnership with this church isn't just individual, it's plural. And so um, what we can see is this principle uh, in Scripture. Like if we think about Moses, right? Um, he goes up on the hill as they're fighting the Amalekites. And he says, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to lift my arms to heaven. And as long as my arms are lifted to heaven, Israel prevailed over uh, the Amalekites, remember? But when his arms got heavy and they began to droop, the Amalekites prevailed. And so Aaron and her, they come along and they prop up his arms in order for uh, Israel to prevail until the sun goes down and, uh, and that they're able to overwhelm and overcome the enemy through this whole thing. And so there's this agreement that's going on between the two or the three. And so, yes, we should pray alone. Yes, we should war and in the secret place alone. But there's this dynamic that comes into play when there's unity of the church really rallying around because it says Jesus becomes present when two or three are together. It's, it's as if he's just blowing on these prayers, increasing the authority of what's going on in these places. And then in 1 John 5.14, it says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. And so God wants his will to be done, but he lets the church be his means of getting it done. And so we can bind and we can loose on earth. And then, and then he does, he binds and loose in heaven. Uh, but if, we are, if we're honest, most of our prayers, at least most of mine, maybe you're more holy than I am, but most of my prayers are about what getting what I want done. God, I have a will and I want you to do my will. And, uh, and so I pray. And so, um, you know, I'm not saying that God doesn't answer those prayers. I mean, he's so good to just give us the silly things that we ask for, you know, like, you know, Lord, I'm, in, I'm running late and I really need this light to turn green. Will you turn it? It didn't work on the train this morning here. <laughs> like, but, <laughs> but I prayed and like, Lord, I need the light green. And boom, all of a sudden it's green. I'm like, thank you, Lord. I can get going on my day. And, you know, but nothing spiritual shifted when the light turned green. It just didn't happen. I was thankful, but nothing spiritually shifted. And so God desires for his church to know his will and pray according to his will, and then something spiritual shifts. You know, it's not just, you know, green lights. It's not just other things. And so it's, it's releasing heaven into situations, and it's releasing heaven into circumstances that we have going on. And, and, we, and so once we know what God wants, then we can ask God for that very thing, and we can ask boldly because it's the very thing he wanted to do in the first place. And uh, we just come in agreement. And so this means as his church, we can pray with such incredible confidence when we pray according to his will and his desires and his plans and his, and, you know, and, and, and sometimes these prayers, when we begin to pray these things, they begin to have an appearance that um, we have somehow changed God's mind, which is quite an interesting thought, you know, as if he was doing something or he was doing nothing and then all of a sudden he did something. He's sitting down and our prayers cause him to rise, you know, and, or, or perhaps he looks like he's doing something opposite and we need him to shift and do the same. I mean, that's an interesting thought, and I kind of want to explain that dynamic in a minute, because there's this, there's this type of, of intercession that we see in Scripture, a picture of it, uh, and, and so I want to kind of share it this morning. It's going to be Exodus 32, and, and so 
Um, what we see, though, is, is after uh, the Lord released them from Egypt of slavery, 400 years of slavery, they cross the Red Sea and they come into the wilderness and uh, Moses goes up on the mountain to, to be with the Lord for a while. And while he's up on the mountain, he's been up there for quite a while. And all of a sudden, the people quickly forget who the Lord is. They forget, who's this guy named Moses? Moses has kind of left us here. And so they turn to Aaron and they say, hey, will you make for us a golden calf so we can worship it instead of the living God? And because Moses, you know, it's you, Aaron. You know, Moses is gone. We don't know what's going on. And so, um, and so while uh, with Moses, though, he's up on the mountain, God sees the people making this golden calf and beginning to bow down and worship this thing. And he responds by saying, I'm going to reject and destroy those people. And so I just want to read you a little bit about Exodus 32, verse 7 uh, through 14. And it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and they have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone that in my anger I may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord as God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servant Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, whom you swore to your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all the land that I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. And then it says in verse 14, the Lord relented and did not bring the people the disaster that he had threatened. And so in this account, we see a sovereign God who deserves worship from the people, but he sees these people turn away from him and begin to worship what is false and what has been made by man. And so God, in his sovereignty, could he destroy these people? Yes. Would he be justified in destroying these people? Yes. Absolutely. And they have sinned and they deserve death. But then we see Moses stepping in and doing something that's just crying out for the people. And, uh, and, and, and he says, God, why in your anger should you burn against the people you brought out of Egypt? Like, why would you just do that and now destroy them? You know, why should your name be defiled? Right? We don't want the Egyptians to say you only sought evil for them and destroyed them. That's why you did everything that you did. And so he's beginning to appeal to God on behalf of God's mercy. He's saying, God, this is who you are. And, and because of who you are, will you do these things? And then in verse 7, it was God who told Moses to go down to the people and see what they've done. God's telling him, hey, you need to go check this thing out for yourself. And so if God intends to destroy the people, he would have destroyed them. And he not would have said, Moses, go down and take a look. And so God intended to show mercy through Moses by working with Moses. 
We see this partnership. Moses is this picture of Christ in this moment, right? There's, a, there's an intercession. There's someone standing in the gap on behalf of the people in this moment. And, uh, and he wanted Moses to intercede for them while they're still in their sin, right? It was whilst we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. And so Moses intercedes while they're still worshiping a golden calf down below. And, and as Moses intercedes, knowing God is a merciful God, and then in verse 13, he doesn't just appeal to his mercy. He does something. He begins to intercede uh, beyond God's character and intercedes with God's ordained will. He says, remember your covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Do you remember that? When you said you would increase the descendants and make them as numerous as the stars in the sky? I mean, Moses is saying, God, remember your covenant. Now, of course, God didn't forget his covenant, you know, but, it, but he's, he's reminding him, this is your will. Your will is not to destroy them, but to multiply them. Moses speaks back to God and he says this and we see God relent from this. And he says, I will not destroy them. And Moses didn't change his mind. Moses simply prayed God's will. And so Moses could pray like this because he knows who God is. And he most importantly knows this covenant that was made with Abraham. And it was a covenant that God said, I will uphold my uh, covenant despite the weakness of the sinful men I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to covenant with. And so if you don't remember this covenant, I just want to refresh you with it really fast because it's such a powerful, powerful covenant of who God is and how we can pray according to who he is. And so it's in Genesis 15. Um, and if you remember, God comes to Abraham. He says, even though you have no son, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give your offspring. And they're going to be as, as numerous as we just read, as numerous as the stars in the sky. Another place says, as numerous as the sand on the shore. And, uh, and he says, and those people are going to go and they're going to get the land of Canaan. It's going to be their inheritance forever. And so let's just read it. Genesis 15, 8 through 12. And he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess this? He said, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all of them, and he cut them in half. And he laid each half over against the other, and he did not cut the birds in half. But when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And so he's continually chasing these birds away. And as the sun was going down, it says a deep fleep a deep sleep fell on Abraham and behold, a great and dreadful darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and they will be servants there and they will be afflicted 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they're to serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And so that brings us up to this point where Moses is in the wilderness as the people are worshiping the golden calf and he's up on the mountain that we just read in Exodus 32. The people have been freed. They've been set free from the slavery um, and, uh, and, but yet now they're turning away. And so now we have to read the rest of this covenant in order to understand what Moses was really praying and pleading to the Lord for. In verse 17 of Genesis 15, it says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And then it says, and on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And so God asked Abraham to split these animals open as a sign he's going to do this. This was a sign of a covenant between two people. Two people would covenant and they would do this. They'd split an animal and then they would both walk through the animal. They'd pass through the animal and they would say to each other, if I don't uphold my end of the agreement on this thing, may it be done to me as these animals. 
And therefore, when God made this covenant with Abraham, this is what God is agreeing to. If I don't uphold my end of the agreement, let me be like these animals. And what's interesting, though, is where's Abraham in the middle of this whole deal? He's over there taking a nap. He's asleep. He's been chasing the birds away. He's tired. I think the Lord probably brought a sleep on him even. And, uh, and, and then we see there in verse 17, it says, God passed through the animals alone. A smoking pot and a flaming torch. This is representing of his presence, right? The pillar of fire uh, by night and the pillar of cloud by day. It's the very thing that represents his presence. And though because Abraham's asleep, God covenants to Abraham, not simply with Abraham. And, and really what's going on there is God made a covenant with himself. I will do this. I will make sure I do this. And this means that in everything that goes on, his faithfulness is going to see this through. That means if God doesn't uphold his end of the agreement that Moses is appealing to, God deserves to die. Likewise, though, because Abraham was asleep and God did both sides of this deal, he said, if Abraham, my sinful people who come from his offspring, do not uphold their end of the agreement, I also die. Isn't that something? And yet we see that picture come very much. But God is covenant with himself. And this is, this is the gospel, church. This is the very gospel. God himself did die because of the unfaithfulness of Abraham's offspring. God came to man and he died on a cross. And he upheld the agreement that he said. He said, I, because of you, will die. And I will make sure my covenant gets upheld through all these things in order to bless all nations through your offspring, Abraham. I will do this. And we see that through Christ, the specific offspring that came. And, 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 and now that's continuing. God's blessing all nations by getting every tongue, every tribe, every people, every, all of them. They, he deserves them all. And he's doing this through Christ, through his church. And he's doing all this. And so as we come back to Moses now, Moses, his prayer is just so incredibly powerful. Because it's, it's appearing... To God change his mind. God's burning in anger, ready to destroy, it says. And then Moses prays and God relents and turns from his anger. It's, it's like as if God had to shift his thinking, but he didn't. He's like, Moses, he's laying something on Moses is what he's doing. He's, he's, I mean, he's saying, remember your covenant. Remember who you are. But, but the Lord was partnering and, and he did something in Moses is he put a burden there is what he did. A burden for the people. A burden for God, God's namesake not to get defamed. And in that burden, he was able to pray according to the Lord's will. And so if you've ever had a burden on your heart, you know, sometimes the Lord just lays things on your heart. And you're like, oh, why is this here? I don't know why this is here. And it's, it's this heavy thing that just messes with you. Sometimes it burns. Sometimes it aches inside of you. And it just doesn't go away, but it drives you to prayer is what it does, doesn't it? And, uh, and it's the Lord doing that because he says, I want my will done. My will is not getting done. Therefore, I will come alongside and I'll mess with my church. I'll, I'll mold them and I'll shape them. I want them to know who I am through the scriptures and my, I want them to see my will in scripture. But when I really need some things done, I'm going to burden them until I get my will done. And he just lays it on us and, and he wants it done, and but he's not going to do it alone. And so sometimes we carry those things around and we don't know what to do with them and they just keep sitting there and we try to ignore them and we try to fill them up with other things and, and the Lord's like, no, I need my will done. Will my church. He's just waiting for his church. 
I mean, we see examples like, remember when Abraham, he, God said to, he was going to destroy Sodom. In fact, he, he goes and, he, and, he, and God speaks out loud almost. And he says, shall I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? I mean, that's, why would God do that? Why would that sentence even be in scripture, you know? And, uh, but he, uh, he tells him, and then all of a sudden, Abraham's burdened. He sees that there might be righteous people in the, in the city. He's like, God, will you destroy that if you find 50 people who are righteous in that city? And the Lord's like, no, I won't. And then it keeps going. It keeps 45, 30, all the way to 10. You know, will you destroy it if you find 10? No, I won't. I mean, there's this, Plea, the burden is coming out of him. What about the righteous, Lord? You, how could you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And so, I mean, God could have never told him his plan. He's God. He could have just done it. But God intends to work his plan out and fulfill his will on earth every single time through people. And I mean, God has no intention to destroy the righteous. He just doesn't. And so he burdens Abraham with it. And so when God burdens us, man, there's times we just need to go spend some time in prayer. And, and, and sometimes, you know, when we get burdened for specific things, like my wife, she, her and some others just have a burden to go and pray for every single brothel around this city. You know, and they're going to go one by one and they're going to see that thing come down. There's a specific, and so they find a burden here and a burden here, the same burden. And they begin to do what the scripture said of two or three gathering together in order to bind and loose on the earth. There's, sometimes we need to take our burdens and we need to find other people with that same burden and begin to do that together. And then when we do this thing, we see the burden, the burden lifts off of us. All of a sudden we have peace again, our peace returned to us. And it's because God's will was done. We can, we can have faith that when that burden lifts, God did something in there. We may never see it, but he did it because he's, man, his pressure of his will when he done is just right there. And then we release it and, it, and something takes place. And so Moses, his intercession for the people was a burden and it kept the people from getting destroyed yes they were disciplined yes if you keep reading we see discipline and Moses getting angry at them and as he sees it all but they were not destroyed and God was faithful to his covenant and, and likewise today when we look at this world we can just get so angry at things we can just get so frustrated or burdened in our in our souls that we would get heartbroken for things and 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 it just seems like people are rejecting God time and time again and they're speaking whatever they want against him and it's like God where are you what are you doing and and, and I just have to tell you I believe God's waiting for his church He's just waiting for us. We're the royal priesthood, Scripture says. Who is going to intercede for these people? Obviously, Christ is, yes, but he's saying, we're in Christ, therefore we have a role to fulfill in the middle of all this. And, and, and people are, you know, we can look at the lost and say, they're like the Israelites that the Lord might destroy. And we need to say, okay, Lord, we know in Scripture that you want none to perish, but for all to repent. That is your will. And, and so... We can pray these words back and we can begin to intercede for souls. You know, we can, God, according to your mercy, right? We can appeal to his character and then we pray his will. And I mean, this is a prayer that God's going to answer every single time. Every single time. God has intention to set captives free, Isaiah 61. God has every desire to save the souls, 1 Timothy 2.4, right? But he's waiting for his church. He wills for his kingdom to fill the earth, Matthew 6.9, but he waits for his church. God wills for the, to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, it says. When people are back-talking against who he is, he waits for the church to do something about that. 
and he limits himself until our will becomes his will. I mean, that's what he's doing in us. That's why he transforms us. It's not just simply so we can, Jesus, you're the best. I mean, yes and amen. Like we want to worship and we want to stay in that place. But it's also that we might administer his will as it says on the very thing on the website. I mean, it's such a great tagline, Jason. And so um, that's what he wants to do. And, and so he's going to transform us. He's going to mold us. He's going to shape us. Some of the worst situations you're probably in are probably so that you might come into alignment with who he is and know his will and then begin to administer his will. You know, he, until we love as he loves, we aren't really administering his will. And so he brings those things about. And so we see these things. If we look with natural eyes, we say uh, God is limited. But his limits are not as limits as we see limits, right? We can, we can view it as sovereignty being withheld. But really, I think there's just something greater that, that God is showing off sovereignty in this moment. There's just something real powerful about that. What, what once was by nature us, right, as sinners who rebelled against him, he says, I'm going to use that to bring about my will on this earth. He transforms the heart of one who said, I only want what I want, to God, I only want what you want. I mean, that's a, that's a greater sovereignty. That's a greater, more powerful God than one who looks like he's limited waiting for people. And it just brings him greater glory. And so with every transformation inside of us, God's more free to move. And, and where we didn't pray or we prayed a little bit or we prayed selfishly, now we pray differently and we pray more according to his will. God's more free to move. You know, and where we didn't love people and we only thought about ourselves and now all of a sudden we're loving someone, man, God's more free to move in every prayer, every love and obedience. He's doing this. He's shaping us. He says there's more freedom for him. And so what we really have as the church is the great privilege of preparing the way of the Lord. I think we, we have the ability to step into that. And so I just have a question is, is are we willing to step into that? Are we willing to let the Lord conform our will to his will? And so we can administer his will.